Hello, this is Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop games, and role-playing games. And today we're talking about X-Wing, the miniatures game. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm the co-host, Ed. My pronouns are they and them. Today, I am the Alex Jones of this podcast, here to tell you that I have a stack of documents that shows that any talk of a giant Death Star is just pure rebel propaganda. Don't fall for it. I don't know what to say to that. They're putting chemicals in the water that are making the Gungans gay? No, they're, they're, they've got microchips. You've seen them in those interrogation droids. Ah, interrogation droids are putting microchips in our chili and making it so hot that Vader forgets that he had kids. It's in the, it's in the documents. We'll we'll get to it and we'll take calls later. We will not be taking calls. That that's about right for for the show that I am referencing in an attempt at humor. I've never watched or listened to Alex Jones. I'm not going to give him my attention. But today we're talking about X-Wing the Miniatures game, one of my personal favorites, something I've played a great deal of, uh, mostly first edition, but I've played some second edition. I have stuff for that. Before we get into that, we're going to do our little segment called This Week in Hobby. Ed, why don't you go first? Started off playing some D&D, pulled a uh, random encounter out of my backside that went in a very, very different direction than I intended it to go. So that was amusing and a very taxing use of my improv abilities. Hopefully the more that I'm a DM, the better I get at. Uh, I don't want to murder my players very early on in the campaign by pure accident. Started playing some Marvel Champions, the card game. It's the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, It's been pretty good so far. I'm interested to see how it plays with a full group of players. It's one to four. And I've been looking for more solo type board game experiences since video games have gone kind of all in on the grift economy and honestly aren't worth it that much anymore. So as a single player game, it's pretty good. Beat the Rhino with... uh, Spider-Man, and just barely made it out. So the difficulty curve and the choices you have to make seem good. And I can't think of anything else that I did this week that's hobby-related. The paint desk has been pretty much vacant. So I think that's about it. Yeah, uh, I have not touched any paint. I ran two Eberron sessions in my D&D games. Uh, In the first one, they did something that I have been wanting to do since Eberron was first announced way back when, which is a sky coach chase through the Towers of Sharn. I am super happy with how that turned out. I think everyone enjoyed it. One of the players mentioned as we were like disconnecting, hey, why don't we just do this sky coach chase thing every week? Which is about the best you can ask for as a DM. And next week, or I guess this coming week for their session, they're going to get a choice of three jobs, each of which is very different. Either they'll be doing a thing that involves a long train ride, and definitely no one's getting murdered on that train, or they'll be delving into a dungeon deep beneath the Towers of Sharn, 
or they'll be heading off to another city to deal with stolen documents relating to a mechanical owl bear that shoots lasers from its eyes. All up to them, of course. I am pro-mechanical owlbear. Yes, the mechanical owlbear that shoots lasers from its eyes is going to be amazing. If they choose that one. If they don't choose that one, it'll come back somewhere else, I'm sure. That will get used. Can we change Quantum Ogre into Quantum Owlbear? I mean, it's Quantum. You can do whatever you want. Ant-Man and the Wasp taught us that. You just put quantum in front of something whenever you, like, need a science word. Just don't look at it, because then it could change from a quantum owlbear into a quantum ogre, just by the fact that you looked at it. Yeah, that is 100% accurate when how quantum mechanics works. Yep, I took a class on it, so I pretty much know everything. Yeah, my other Eberron campaign, uh, they delved into the workshop, well... First, they stopped a mafia-style execution, where some gnolls were going to make a halfling dig his own grave. Then they delved into the workshop of a missing artificer and discovered the terrifying secrets that he had in his basement. And next week, they'll be getting to the Skycoach chase scene, because my two parties are running basically the same campaign. They just don't know it, because they're not aware that the other one exists. Unless they've started listening to this podcast, in which case, ha, joke's on you. We record so far ahead that you won't hear what's upcoming until the week after it happens. Very tricksy. Also, thanks for listening to the podcast. But yeah, they'll get to do that stuff coming up. And I'm sure it's going to start diverging more soon. They've already each had uh, specific encounters that the other one has not. Because I'm trying to play in backstories and specific character elements. And that has been the week in hobby. Woo! So, X-Wing Miniatures Game. It's the game that I'm really bad at and yet continue to keep playing compulsively. I just can't help myself. I'm actually pretty good at it. Or I was for a while when I was playing heavily. I don't think I ever won a store championship. But I came close, and I was in finals for a number of, like, local events. I do have a friend that went to regionals. He was better than me. He did also lose terribly on camera on regionals. And I... Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, but, man. You should not have done that maneuver you did that turn. That was on you. That's harsh. Uh, he messed up the approach. Definitely didn't know a few maneuvers. He should have, like, kept his shields full front and, yeah, just dove into that trench run. So, X-Wing. Star Wars. Franchise some of you may have heard of. It's a little-known movie. In that franchise, there are starfighter dogfights. It draws heavily from the dogfights of World War II in the original movie, and that just kept going. Because everyone liked it so much. In 2012, Fantasy Flight Games, who we will reference repeatedly throughout this, came up with the idea to make a miniatures game based on the Starfighter dogfights of the Star Wars universe. They had the license, and they were like, we can do this. We can. This should be a game that people will like. They were incredibly correct about that. 
using the flight path system drawn from the... Oh, I forget the name for it. Uh, Blood Skies? Skies of... Uh, it was Wings of Glory. Wings of Glory, yes. Using the flight path system from Wings of Glory, which was a World War I, World War II dogfighting game, they combined that with basically pre-painted, pre-assembled ship miniatures for X-Wings, TIE Fighters, and eventually a huge host of other Starcraft on little square bases, and you would slot the maneuvers in, move your ship, and then do your thing. Which had a huge benefit of being immediately accessible even to people who weren't hugely into war games because the core box for this came with an X-Wing, two TIE Fighters, and all the materials you needed to play the game. Dice, measuring equipment, uh, terrain, all the rules. One box. And that box retailed for less than $100. So you could buy that, play with it right out of the box without having to paint anything, without having to buy extra bits, and get a pretty good feel for how the game was. And it was an immediate hit. The ships were and are still represented with cards that detail, you know, kind of their stats. The cards indicate their pilot skill, their attack, their evade, the amount of hull the ship has, the amount of shields the ship has, any special abilities that a specific pilot might have, and any upgrade slots that you can use to add more cards. Uh, for example, an X-Wing can fit an astromech droid. You can have R2-D2 sitting in there because... Everybody likes R2-D2. You can also have torpedoes in your X-Wing so that you can do proton torpedoes and blow up a Death Star. The game is balanced by having things cost various amounts of points, the same way pretty much any large-scale war game like this is balanced. In the first edition, the points were printed on the card. In the second, they changed that, and we'll talk about it when we get there. Core aspect of gameplay is very simple. You have your ships, and at the start of the turn, each player takes a dial, which shows all the maneuvers that ship can do. They set the dial to the maneuver they want to do, and then place it face down next to the ship. Then, going in pilot skill from low to high, they reveal the dial for the ship and perform that maneuver. If you hit another ship, you kind of stop there. If you go over terrain like an asteroid or a field of debris, you do certain things for that. Once you've moved a ship, it takes an action. There are a bunch of different actions, again, shown what you can do on the ship's card. These are things that can improve your firing, improve your defense. They can allow you to make an extra maneuver, do a barrel roll. Do a barrel roll. Boost to go a little faster, or... Acquire a target lock so that you can shoot better. There's a whole bunch of different things, and not every ship can do everything, which helps to spread out and differentiate the individual fighters. Once your ship has moved and done an action, it waits for everybody else to move their ships and do their actions. Then you move into combat. During combat, you roll your attack dice. Ships can only attack things that they can see, essentially. Ships have an arc. Usually it's 90 degrees at the front of their base. It's printed on a little thing so that you can easily measure it out. And they have a range. Typically it's a 1 to 3. There's a special range ruler that comes with the game that you use to measure these things. 
if you're shooting real close, you get extra dice to attack. If you're shooting real far away, they get extra dice to defend. They, the game uses custom dice for attacking and defending. There are red attack dice, green defense dice. The attacker measures range and, like, arc to somebody that they can see. Then they roll red dice and do stuff to modify them, whether that's through pilot abilities or actions that they've taken. Then the defender rolls their green dice to defend, equal to how well, how good their ship is at evading, and modifies that dice to from actions or pilot abilities to try and not get shot. A ship like an X-Wing has three red dice to attack and two green dice to defend, because... They have a lot of guns, so they roll decent amounts of attack dice. And they're somewhat agile, so they roll a couple of defense dice. Something like a TIE Fighter flips that. They have three green dice to defend because they are maneuverable, but only two red dice to attack because they have a lot less guns. They've just got a little itty-bitty blasters. Bigger ships have different amounts of these. The... Carillion YT-1300 freighter, Han Solo's Millennium Falcon kind of ship, only gets one green die to defend because it's a big freighter. It doesn't have as many options for, like, maneuvering when a fighter comes at it. It's a thick boy. But it gets a turret, which allows it to shoot in different directions than just straight ahead. And it gets three attack dice because it does enough damage to put something down pretty quickly. The game was... Like I said, a hit right off the bat. You had X-Wings, you had TIE Fighters, the first wave of ships added in Y-Wings, and the TIE Advanced, Darth Vader's TIE from A New Hope. And then after that, they just kept adding in new ships. The Rebels got the Millennium Falcon, the Imperials got the the Lambda-class shuttle, which is shows up in Return of the Jedi, B-Wings, A-Wings, the TIE Bomber, the TIE Interceptor, And then they started going further and further afield, picking stuff up from video games and comic books and every adaptation, the whole range of the cartoons, every adaptation of Star Wars has had some effect. Actually, I'm not sure if you got the Lambda Shuttle first or if you got the Boba Fett Slave One first. In any case, they started adding in stuff rather pretty rapidly. Um, The game came out in 2012, as I said. By 2014, they added epic ships, which were ships that were not starfighter scale. The first one was the Corellian Corvette, which is one of the most iconic Star Wars ships, and the first Star Wars ship ever shown on screen, because it's the one at the beginning of A New Hope that's getting absolutely wrecked by a Star Destroyer. You know, Princess Leia's little Corvette. These had a whole new set of rules and a lot of scenarios about them because, well, they're much bigger than everything else on the table. They are kind of clunky to play with. They just don't fit the seat-of-your-pants dogfighting style that much of the rest of the game has. But they look really cool, and I definitely own most of them. I always wanted to play one of the epic-sized battles, but like you said, it just doesn't play as well, and... Ships are generally expensive, and I never wanted to pony up the cash for them. Once we are back to playing stuff in person, I will dig out my epic ships, and we will go head-to-head. Corellian Corvette versus Imperial Raider. Woo! 
FFG had to come up with an imperial equivalent to the Corvette, and they invented a ship for the first time. They came up with something of their own. It's the Imperial Raider, and it's canon now. Is that the Gozanti? Nope, not the Gozanti. The Gozanti was from something else and shows up in a bunch of other things. The Raider is like half Star Destroyer, half TIE Interceptor. It's a big pointy boy. Uh, it's the size of the Carillion Corvette. It looks like a dagger almost. It's 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 a big pointy boy with like some almost TIE Fighter wings on the side. Oh, I remember that one. Yep. And it got added in, I think, the Star Wars Battlefield 2 game and has shown up in a few other Star Wars related media. So it's totally canon now. But it came from this game, which is a nice point in its favor, in my opinion, because I thought they did a really good job getting the aesthetics of the ship right. It's very menacing looking. Yeah, I like it. It's a good one. So that was 2014. They started adding these bigger ships. 2015, they expanded beyond just Rebels and Empire by adding in something that everyone had been asking for from day one. That hive of scum and villainy. A wretched hive of scum and villainy. The scum and villainy faction was criminals, space pirates, and bounty hunters. And came out early 2015 with cards for Boba Fett, cards for Bosk, cards for eventually Dengar, Forlom, Zuckus, every named bounty hunter you've heard of if you're a Star Wars fan. Whole bunches of new ships, cool new abilities. They added a special upgrade just for these guys called Illicit that included things like space drugs or the ability to just blow up your ship when you died to try and take someone with you. Lots of cool, weird, sort of scummy actions that these guys could take. Dirty tricks. All the dirty tricks. Make Nixon proud. And then, of course, in 2015, something else happened. The movies came back. Because 2015's when The Force Awakens came out. And so, to go along with that, in late 2015, they came out with a new starter set that contained two First Order ties and a Resistance X-Wing, flown by Poe Dameron. This came out to match with the release of the, all the other toys for the movie in the like marketing lead-up. And it was kind of vague on who the pilots were and what they did, because no one at Fantasy Flight Games had been allowed to see the movie. Because <laughs> the movie wasn't even done. Nice job. And they didn't even have like a full script that was given to them because everything had was hush-hush and super secret. All they had were the visuals of X-Wings and TIE Fighters that were going to be in the movie and names of characters and like how important those characters were. So they actually did a surprisingly good job of making these interesting rule sets out of this Um Poe Dameron's ability makes him a very good ace pilot, which is exactly what he's shown to be in the film. Maybe not quite the way he works in the film, but who cares? His role, especially after the first film, doesn't involve a huge amount of piloting. So, eh. More piloting, please. That's what I want. More dogfights. So this continued on. As new films came out, new stuff got added. As more Star Wars media came out, they kept pulling every ship they could get their hands on. They pulled the Ghost Cruiser from Star Wars Rebels, the big uh, Millennium Falcon, but 
clunkier kind of ship that they have there. They pulled in weird stuff from video games, especially for the scum and villainy faction. They had to dig kind of deep to find some fighters that really worked for scum and villainy. This kept going on until 2018, when they launched 2nd Edition. This was a big and somewhat controversial thing in the X-Wing community because, well, the models were transferable, but everything else you had to buy new stuff for. And they came out with kits that were specifically just, just packs of new cards and new tokens and new like bases so that all your ships would match and work for second edition. And they went through the rules like, I don't know, a mafia snitch through a wood chipper. <laughs> Is that a good metaphor for this? Yeah, that's a good one. They went through the rules like blue milk through a Skywalker. Also works. They cleared out a lot of things, a lot of interactions that had been happening that had been kind of abusable in first edition got removed. They standardized a bunch of things. For instance, all turreted weapons now had an arc that you had to like move around as an action instead of just being able to fire 360 degrees all the time. Now you had to, if you were a big ship, you'd fire either front and back or side to side. Or if you were a small ship, you'd just get to pick one 90-degree segment that you're going to be shooting out of. They added force powers as a separate thing. Instead of just having a special ability, now you had the ability to use the force, and you had a little token. They added a lot more tokens as well. Um, it's FFG. FFG is going to token. Yeah, FFG loves their tokens, and X-Wing already had quite a few of them, and 2nd Edition caused that to explode. It did a number of other things. It may did some stuff to kind of make missiles and bombs and torpedoes more interesting, because they had not been that great before, aside from highly specific builds on certain ships. Now they had the ability to, like, reload them with certain ships, and you would get more than one shot off with each torpedo for the most part. There was a lot of work done to rebalance it. They also removed the points cost from all the cards and said, oh, we're going to have an official app that you'll download to your phone or use online, and that'll have the points cost, and this way we can rebalance it if stuff goes weird without having to reprint everybody's card, which sounds like a great idea. Ed, can you guess why this may not have been the greatest idea? Um, because FFG sucks at making apps, and also you're somewhat limiting your user base if they happen to not have access to a phone. Yes. It's really the first one. The app was horrendous. I tried using it when it first came out. It broke on probably more than half the user interactions. I don't think I actually ever got it to work. It had really bad mechanics for, like, saving stuff. It had terrible mechanics for, like, seeing card abilities or picking cards to add to your list. It was incredibly counterintuitive. And there were plenty of times when it was just broken. I seem to recall the first week it was out, you couldn't access one of the factions. Just, it, it didn't have that in its database or something. Sounds about right. The other thing that this did was that they sort of 
they split the Galactic Empire and the First Order into two separate factions instead of just being sort of an Imperial faction. And they split the Resistance and the Rebels into two separate factions, which was actually a good move because it there had been some weird interactions that you could do with flying Rebel pilots next to Resistance pilots. And Of all the changes that they made, that's probably the one that I hate the least. I think the thing I hate... The thing I like the most is probably the turret arcs. But yes, splitting the factions up made a lot of sense and allowed them to spread some stuff out better. It, there were a few other tweaks. Mostly the rules changes were good, though it did have this weird side effect of slowing down the game. The game had previously been very seat of the pants, you make a snap decision on what you want your ship to do, and then you do it. And the second edition has more steps and more process, at least in my experience, which is not as much fun. Makes it a little more tedious to play, and it's not quite as slick as first edition. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the new pace. Yeah, that being said, there aren't, at least to my knowledge, as many utterly broken things that people can do or that people were able to do initially in second edition. I'm sure at this point with the new stuff that's come out, they've found those and use them all the time. But initially nothing was quite as absolutely or absurdly broken as some of the stuff first edition allowed you to do. And of course there was something else that everyone was waiting for them to do to add to the game. And in 2019, they did by adding the prequel factions, the Galactic Republic and the Confederacy of Independent Systems. That's right, clones and droids. It's probably a good thing that they had done all this work to integrate force powers into the game before, because the Jedi pilots in the Galactic Republic are all about using force powers. So that makes a lot of sense. It would have been hard to make them interesting in first edition without adding a force mechanic to the game and adding a whole new mechanic to an already existing game would have been janky at that point. Yep. So we got the new factions, we got droids, we got clones, new ships for them. So there's a huge new collection of ships that you just keep coming out with. Uh, whatever you want, you get the... Naboo Starfighters, sure. You get the Droid Starfighters, sure. You get all these things. There's a lot more content there, and they just kept mining it. In 2020, Asmodee, which is the parent company of Fantasy Flight Games, started a major reorganization of their subsidiary gaming companies, including Fantasy Flight. At this point, Fantasy Flight had a number of Star Wars games. They had done Imperial Assault, they had X-Wing, they had Legion, they had... Armada, and they also had a number of other Star Wars games, uh, some RPGs that we're definitely going to talk about in a future series. But Asmodee decided that they were going to split this up and they were going to like reorganize who, what company does what games. And all the Star Wars miniature games were moved from Fantasy Flight to another company called Atomic Mass Games, which is best known for doing Marvel Crisis Protocol, and basically nothing else. So Atomic Mass Games got all the Star Wars miniature games, and it kind of it was not the smoothest transition. 
a lot of people who had been doing stuff with the organized play scene and tournaments and stuff weren't sure who was running things now. Atomic Mass Games has not been nearly as good about keeping stuff on their website for when new releases are coming out and what what's coming out and what's in those releases. Their website barely acknowledges that they do Star Wars stuff. It's entirely focused on Crisis Protocol. I think it really could have been handled better. And that's kind of... They have kept coming out with stuff and they keep announcing stuff, I think, entirely on Facebook, which I hate. I hate that they do that. But that's how it is now. That's where the game was. Yeah, I'm interested to see where this game goes in the future. It seems like a lot of the changes recently kind of coincided with the start of the pandemic, which, you know, killed in-person gaming. And X-Wing is one of those games that you can't really do it remotely or online. It really has to be in-person. I think the virtual championships would disagree with you, but let's talk about that in-person gaming. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's. I don't think they're official, but some of the X-Wing community has done virtual games. They do. I think through tabletop simulator mostly. I've tried to. I've tried to play X-Wing over tabletop simulator, and it didn't go well. But it's been a long time since uh, I tried that, so who knows? Maybe people have found a way around it. It might be Vassal or one of the other virtual tabletops. I don't know exactly. But let's talk about the playing of X-Wing in the community. X-Wing had an amazing organized play set up before the pandemic. It had a serious and dedicated organized play community at the local level. Tournaments on local, national, and international level, including a system of store championships, regional invitational tournaments, and a world championship event that was held uh, in Minnesota at the Fantasy Flight Games location there at their main head office. These were streamed on YouTube, getting a decent amount of views, for sure. If you're really interested in seeing what high-level X-Wing gameplay looks like, you can go to YouTube and look up, like, X-Wing Worlds, and it will show you some of these videos of people doing insane stuff with little plastic spaceships. I spent a lot of hours at my uh, desk job wasting time by watching uh, people play Star Wars on YouTube. Yeah, good times. Always good times to watch some of those. Uh, the community for the games is also very strong. Because of the low bar to entry, it was easy to get new people in. The models were all pre-painted and pre-assembled, but they're of decent quality. Good hard plastic, pretty decent paint jobs. And so people were able to modify and repaint them pretty quickly and get some good-looking ships out of it. I've uh, painted one of my... I painted one of my dudes and he looks pretty good. I painted a couple of guys and I enjoyed what I did and I enjoy how they look now. The fact, if you don't want to modify and paint your whole army and you just want to fly the ships, that was totally an option and just as valid. And then also the fact that this is an immediately recognizable franchise and people, everybody's kind of seen an X-Wing and a TIE Fighter and can be like, oh, that's a Star Wars thing makes the game really easy to show off to people, to showcase and to get new people in. So that happened a lot. For a while, its player base was as big as the Warhammer 40k community in some areas. And also, I think, less smelly. Uh, maybe, I don't know. You were more into the, the competitive scene than I was. 
I think it depended on the tournaments you went to, but for the most part, the X-Wing players tended towards a different type of nerd, a type of nerd that was not as heavy on the hobby scene. So the body odor situation was less of an issue. Um, you tended to have a lot more of the skinny programmer type nerds who just liked Star Wars and saw a Star Wars tabletop game that they could pick up quickly, and then that became a thing that they did a lot of. We'll just do an entire episode on our recommended deodorants for gaming conventions. Nothing that comes in a spray can. Use actual roll stick deodorant. <laughs> spray can stuff just, like, masks the body odor. Yes, but uh, maybe we'll do a Twitter poll on best deodorant to use at a gaming convention but yeah large community popular events the prize support for the events was also quite good fantasy flight was real good at sending out prize kits that contained special versions of tokens and alternate art cards and posters and stuff that people would actually kind of want to win to play the game fantasy flight they do seem to do good job with prize support kind of in general from what i've seen for most of their games I don't know how Atomic Mass Games has done on this front. That is a good question. They haven't run a lot of tournaments since Pandemic really kicked off, but I don't know if they're up to the same level that Fantasy Flight was for prize support that was so good and so interesting. I have a stack of challenge coins, actual metal, like, inch-to-inch -inch coins that Fantasy Flight had that you could get for coming in the top four at a tournament. You got challenge coins? That's badass. Yeah, I have like six of them. Like I said, I did pretty well at a lot of store championship tournaments and stuff. So I have a stack of these challenge coins. I almost at one point had enough to use as shield tokens for my for one of the lists that I ran. <laughs> Which was kind of the ultimate flex, is if you had enough of them to just like plonk them as tokens on your side of the table. That is a big flex, I tell you what. Yeah, I know a couple of people who have, like, plaques that they got for winning a store championship or a, like, regional event. The level of things that they would give out just for showing up was also quite good. I ended up with a lot of these random prize pieces, and then when I would play with normal people who are just getting into the game, I'd be like, oh, hey, do you want a acrylic template thing that I have? Because I have extras, and I'll just give you one. And I think that sort of mentality was pretty common, as far as I saw, that people would just, if they got extra prizes, would give them to people to, because, you know, it's more fun to play with the fancy stuff. Yeah, I kind of wish I had gone to more competitive events. I don't know why I really wasn't into competitive gaming like that at the time. Because you were working a terrible job and you didn't have those days off. That is true. I had just totally blocked that out of my brain. Yeah, that that's exactly why you weren't going to the competitive events and hanging out and doing that stuff. I went to a lot of them with a... I had a group of friends that all played X-Wing, and so we would play against each other, and then we would go to the events as, like, a group. And, uh, yeah, they were fun. Fun events. And when I say X-Wing had a world championship, I mean world championship. One of the events one of the winners was from singapore one year i think there was another an australian winner 
and maybe a German one. They it has a strong international scene. I once saw a game of X-Wing being played at a game store in France. Nice. I think one of the players was cheating. I don't... Oh, not nice. I couldn't over... Look, I couldn't understand what they were saying as they were talking about it. So maybe he wasn't cheating. Maybe they had all agreed on this. But it looked to me like he had uh, changed his dial after they started doing stuff. I may have been wrong. Um, So like we said, the game is kind of in a weird spot right now. Thanks to the pandemic, there hasn't been strong organized play. So we don't really know how Atomic Mass Game is going to handle that. If it's going to be good. If the game is going to really continue being as strong as it was. I would hope so. Because I really enjoy X-Wing. And I think that it provides a nice alternative for war games. For people who want maybe a slightly lighter war game. One that requires less depth of hobby aspect. And it was nice to have a really strong war game that wasn't Games Workshop. That wasn't 40k. And was recognizable to people as being nerdy and war game related. Um, I will say that. The X-Wing community is fantastic, and there are lots of sites and blogs and YouTube channels and podcasts about X-Wing very specifically. Uh, The one I'm most familiar with is the Gold Squadron podcast. So if you want to find out all the most detailed information about X-Wing you'll ever need to know, you can go check them out. Yeah, I haven't uh, checked out any of those podcasts yet, but it might be time to get back into X-Wing since it's a game that I've been jonesing for a lot lately. It's, there are other games like it, and we'll talk about some of them when we eventually get to our episode on Star Trek-related tabletop stuff, I think. But X-Wing is perhaps the best one, both in terms of presentation and rules and support for it. So that's our thing. That's X-Wing. It's a game with X-Wings. You should play it if you're into Star Wars. Yeah, if you like Star Wars, play it. If you're just looking for a high-speed sci-fi dogfighting game, try it out. The core set is not particularly expensive and comes with enough stuff to play a starter game. And there's like three core sets now because there's one that's for like classic X-Wings and TIE Fighters. There's one that's droids versus jedi there's one that's the new movies stuff so you have options and you can pick whatever style of or whatever style or era of star wars that is your personal favorite so we have a segment on this podcast called board game corner and today ed will be providing us with information about a board game that they like oh boy The uh, anti-capitalists who listen to this are going to hate me for it. But there is a game from 1904 that has been produced pretty much continuously since then called Pit, as in like trading pit for the Chicago or New York Stock Exchange. It's a card game. The idea is that you are trying to collect a certain amount of commodities. You have a hand of nine cards and... As soon as the game starts, everybody plays at once. And the idea is that you're trying to get a complete hand of nine matching commodities. It'll be things like rice, corn, wheat, coffee, etc. And you ask around to the other players. You say, I have two cards. How many, you know, 
do you want to swap two cards for two cards? And so you're swapping around, not necessarily knowing what everybody has, but you can tell by the numbers of cards that they're trading how much progress they're making. And as soon as somebody has a complete hand of nine cards of these commodities, they hit the bell and you show what you have. And everybody scores, I think everybody scores uh, based on what they have. I'm not a huge fan of just like casual party games. It's just not my thing, but it's a good game. There's a, it's just kind of barely contained chaos. Cause there's a lot of shouting, a lot of people waving around all that good stuff. So it's one that I can recommend if you have a group who wants an easy to learn and really fast to play, just simple party game. Also, if you said it's from 1904, Yep, 19 of... Then I believe it's in the public domain at this point. Um, most likely. All you anti-capitalists out there, if you don't like this game, you can make your own version. Or just, you know, make it for yourself. I looked at the details before we started recording, and I promptly forgot anything that I read other than it was initially published in 1904 by Parker Brothers. There's a different company that publishes it now, but it's pretty much been in production ever since in one form or another. Yeah, I think 1904 is uh, copyright era. So yeah, go nuts. Make your own version. Make the commodities that you're trying to get something more interesting than wheat and grain and stuff. We'll just make our own version where it's all just NFTs and Bitcoin. Let's crowdfund for that version and then not actually make it. That's the NFT way, right? Yeah, it would be appropriate. All right, so Pit, fun party game. And that's our episode. Thank you for listening. Ed, any commercials you got? Uh, You can follow my various board game and tabletop game shenanigans on Instagram at AnnaMadness. Also be sure to buy our Null Country brand meeple enhancers. They'll make your meeples larger and last longer and uh, make your games better. I mean, we, we should make stickers at some point. Yep. It's a, it's a new bit that I'm trying out where I advertise fake, hilarious products. We'll, we'll workshop that a bit. All I have to say is, A, join a union. B, if you don't have a union, start a union. C, follow us on Twitter at Knoll Country or on Instagram at Knoll Country. And listen to the rest of our episodes. And uh, keep playing board games and RPGs and stuff. Get your vaccine so that we can go play board games in person again. Yes, get vaccinated, get boosted, wear a mask, don't be an asshole to service workers. You know what you're doing. And that's a podcast.